0: our text this morning, appreciate the worship, uh, appreciate the reading, Bob did, and just the opportunity that we had to come together to worship the Lord, to learn uh, from his word uh, so that we might draw closer to him and in understanding and wisdom and, uh, and also in our, in our practical everyday life. Uh, Just a reminder, kind of an overview, a a looking back, if you will, on what we've already studied. Some of you are visiting for the first time, or you've been, maybe this is your second time, here with us. And we're going through the book of 1 John on a verse-by-verse study. And um, I don't know about for you, it's been a good study for me, and how that the Lord has just kind of unpacked for us these these evidences of what it means to truly be a Christian and uh, to give us some, some confirmation or affirmation about who we are. And at the same time that it gives us this affirmation or confirmation about who we are, it also has the opposite effect for those who perhaps are not uh, true followers of Jesus Christ. It has this, this revealing effect. Uh, it, it shows them who they really are. And there are there are First John is, is, is full of evidences or fruits of a true believer. Uh, from loving God to loving your neighbor to practicing righteousness to giving to those who are needy. There are a number of things that, that we experience in our everyday life that are evidences that we are true followers of Christ. And these are not necessarily works as much as they are fruits. They're things that flow from the Spirit of God living within us. Last week, we looked at verse number 13, and it was read this morning already. And in verse number 13, John uh, really captures the truth of the entire book. And when he says, These things have I written unto you, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know that you have eternal life. And so John, the essence or the purpose of John writing this book is that we, as followers of Jesus, might have We might be convinced of this. We might be convinced of who we are. We might be convinced of what Jesus Christ has done for us and how that he has changed who we are. He's changed our our makeup. He's changed our desires. He's, He's changed our identity. We're no longer identified by what we do. We're no longer identified by what the law says and how good we are at keeping the law, but we're now identified by Christ. We're identified by being in Christ, and all of Christ's righteousness has been given to us as a gift. It has been imputed to our account, and God now sees us in light of Jesus Christ. We are identified in Christ, and that, and that truly is the gospel. That is, that is our hope. It's not that we're able to do certain things to get favor from God, but it's that Jesus Christ did everything necessary so that we might have favor from God. And how we become recipients of that is simply by faith. We just embrace what Jesus Christ has done for us. We embrace that Jesus Christ was sufficient to pay for every single one of our sins. The darkest of sins was paid for by Jesus Christ. And we embrace the fact that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he gave us as a free gift, his righteous life. When the Bible says, these things that I've written unto you that believe on the, on the name of the Son of God or the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know that you have eternal life. Another way of saying that is simply this, that you might know that you have Jesus's life. You have been given. You have been granted. You have been gifted the life of Christ. And because you have the life of Christ, you are now accepted by God. You are a child of God. You are a a son of God. You are a friend of God. All of these things that are very, very foreign to those who don't know God And, and, and those who are trying to Reach into his favor through some other way, whether it be by obeying certain rules and regulations or doing certain religious ceremonies or sacraments or whatever might be the case. If, if you pursue God's favor in any other way than through Jesus Christ, you will inherit his wrath. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6:23 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord or in Jesus Christ our Lord It's also true that John 14:6 says I am the way Jesus is speaking I am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the Father unless they come through me we know these verses. They're very familiar to us. I'm, I'm not speaking verses that, that aren't familiar to us, but the, the truth that is ingrained in these verses oftentimes is, is overlooked, and, and, and therefore we don't grasp the reality of who we are. And when we don't grasp the reality of who we are, we often, we often negate the benefits of who we are. We lose sight of what we have because of who we are. We're not only children of God, but the Bible says in Ephesians that we're co-heirs with Christ, that everything that Christ has, we have. Everything that Christ did, everything that Jesus Christ accomplished on this earth, all of his good deeds were credited to our account, and now we are beneficiaries of the rewards that Jesus Christ earned for us. It's not just that he dealt with our sins, past tense, but he has given us himself, present and future tense, that we might inherit what he earned. Does that make sense? It's such an amazing truth. It's so hard to grasp, but it is the foundation of grace that we get what he earned and he got what we earned. That's the gospel. That is who we are. Now, I say all of that as introduction because what John is going to do as he closes out 1 John is he's going to talk about some of the impacts, some of the changes that take place in our life, some of the things that are different after we have embraced this fact. Okay, remember this. There are certain things that change when you get saved, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. There are certain things that take place when a person gets saved. What 1 John is saying is, is there are more things that take place once you know it. There are more changes that take place as a Christian when you have come, not, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I think I'm saved, I hope I'm saved, I, 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 I'm, I, you know, I, I really... And, we, and, and you're, 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 you're up and down and you're back and forth and you're unsure and you're sure. There are changes that take place even in that realm. But the amazing thing is, is when we come to that place in our Christian life where we're able to become sure and confident of who we are in Christ, things really start to change. And that's when we start to experience some of the things that he mentions here at the end of the book of First 1 John. True knowing impacts our actions. And as you see, the title of my message this morning is How Knowing Impacts Our Prayer Life. I wrote a few thoughts down. When we we know that we're safe, we become bold and courageous. But when we're unsure of our safety, we are very cautious and guarded. I can remember when I was younger and my my kids were younger, we would go to, to amusement parks and and, and dad would always force the kids to get on the, the big rides, you know, and, and uh, the big roller coasters. Now they, they love the roller coasters. But there was a season where I had to force them to get on. And, I, and I, w- I, w- I would always say to them, I'd always look over at them and say to them, it's okay, you're strapped in, nothing bad can happen to you. Anybody ever said that before like me? Okay, And, 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 you, and you're confident in that, Right. And your hope is that they will gain the same confidence that you have that everything is going to be okay, they're perfectly safe, and then once they embrace that as a fact, as a reality, which they have done today, do you know what they do on the rides now? Okay, they put their hands up. It's like, it's like this greatest event that's ever happened to them because they've embraced the fact, they've embraced that as a fact that they are 100% safe because that safety belt is on them. So it's important that they embrace that reality, they embrace that truth in order to enjoy what is about to happen to them, which is full of danger, isn't it? It's amazing. Those roller coaster rides, you know, they, they take you upside down. They, they whip you back and forth. I mean, it's crazy the danger that's involved, but yet they're convinced that they're safe, and so they enjoy it. The Christian life is exactly the same way. It is full of danger. It is full of risk. It is full of courage. Courageous people like David and Daniel doing things that we would say, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Because they knew who they were. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. It's about a group of people who knew who they were in Christ. They knew who God was. And they were willing to do courageous things based upon that reality. And then you have people that are just not overly sure. And they don't do anything risky in their life. They don't serve the Lord courageously. Because they're really not sure if if it's going to really work out in the end. Right? Listen, folks, it is going to work out in the end. We can be confident in that reality, and it can change who we are. Confidence always leads to change. Let me give you a few verses here. 2 Timothy 1, 11 through 12 says, Paul talking about his suffering to Timothy, he says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, I am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Romans 8, 36 through 39, he says, as it is written for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am persuaded, I am confident that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. What we see is simply this, that being confident knowing these things is what drove these men to courageous action. It's what drove the disciples to be walking out of their, their home every day knowing that their life is on the line, but it didn't matter to them because they were confident that nothing would be able to separate them from the love of God. What do we need to be confident in, according to our text in 1 John we need to be confident in the fact that we have restored harmony with God. We are his friends now. As Christians, okay, remember this, this is important. Those who manifest the evidences of 1 John are, should be confident of the, their relationship with the Lord, okay? I, I want to be very careful because there are people who sit in churches on Sunday who are not manifesting the... Evidence is mentioned in 1 John who would say, oh, I'm very confident that I'm one of God's children. That's a dangerous place to be. The place that you want to be is that you're manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, and because you're manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, you're confident that you're one of God's children. Do you know why I'm confident that I'm one of God's children when I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Because I know it's not me. Right? When I see anything good coming out of me spiritually... Right away, I'm like, okay, confirmation, God's in there, because that wouldn't, that wasn't me. That moment in life where it's like, okay, I'm about to blow up, right? And yet I decided to be, I decided to be kind and patient. Okay, that wasn't me. That was the Lord, confident. I know who I am because I see him working through me. And every day that we see God working through our, in our lives through whatever miracle he performs to make us what we're not, we know that God dwells in us. And, and may I submit to you that those of us who have never seen God make you what you're not, there should be concern there because that's God's work. He tells us in Romans 8 that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to know who we are. Romans 8:14 and 15 For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Okay? It's a de- it's a definitive statement about who we are. If you're led by God's Spirit, you are his children. And you did not receive the spirit of slavery, which falls back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Or it's a very intimate, like daddy type of relationship, very personal relationship. Galatians 4 and 6 says, And because you are sons, God hath sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. You are no longer <laughs> a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. So let's look at these two verses this morning. We're going to look specifically at the impact that knowing who we are has, specifically this morning, on our prayer life. How does knowing who you are in Christ impact how you pray? How does knowing who you are in Christ impact how you How you pray. The Bible has a lot to say about praying, doesn't it? And we can go to, we don't have time to cover all the passages of Scripture where the Lord talks about praying. But we're going to try to unpack four things this morning that I believe the text tells us are impacted by, that our prayers are impacted as we grow to know who we are in Christ. So let's look at these four things. He says this in verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And this is prayer. You don't see the word prayer in here, but but prayer, the word asking is the same as praying. You're asking the Lord for something. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So there are four truths that we learn about prayer that 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 are connected directly to your confidence in who you are in Christ. They're directly connected to your confidence in who you are. And so we'll look at these things. Number one is a confidence. As we grow in knowing who we are, we have a confidence to speak freely in our prayer life. In other words, another secondary title for this point would be our prayer life becomes conversational. We are, begin, we are able to speak to God freely. We are able to speak to God conversationally. This term... Um, the confidence that we have towards him is a term that, again, describes the idea of speaking freely. It comes from the Greek word parousia, and it means to be outspoken, to be frank, to be blunt, bold, free, plain, open, and fearless. If you've ever watched a, a military movie, you've heard the statement, one of the, one of the privates will come in to one of the, their superiors and they will begin to talk to, the superior will begin to talk to them and they'll be very much at attention, right? And they're not saying anything because you don't talk to your superior unless he asks you to talk to him and everything is very rigid and, and military, right? And you'll, you'll hear this statement made, right? Permission to, you guys have watched military movies, right? Permission to speak freely, And what they're asking is simply this. I want you who are my superior to give me the privilege to put down all of the regimen that's there and just to talk to you. Right? That's what he's talking about here. This is the confidence. As we grow to know who we are in Christ, as we grow to know that the relationship, the friendship, the fatherly relationship that we have with God now through Jesus Christ, our prayers are going to become more free and more conversational with God. We're going to just talk with him. Share with him what you're going through. Share with him your burdens, just like you share your burns and your struggles with your best friend. Matter of fact, according to Scripture, there is no friend greater than God, right? There is no friend greater with God, greater than God. But what we often do is we come to God very regimented, very structured. Even the Pharisees, they, they even got rebuked because their prayers were always the same. They were always saying the same thing. And the Lord rebukes them because they, they had no, there was no conversation, there was no relationship there. The Lord says, as you grow to know who you are and you're standing before me and that you're my children and I love you and I embrace you and I care about you, your, your prayer life will become very much like a, a child talking to their father and that relationship and that conversation, that intimacy that's there. We, we need more of that in our, in our, in our prayer life. And, and again, it's not just, okay, we can regiment that too, Right? I'm going to be more conversational, and that becomes our regiment. <laughs> what does the Lord want from us? The Lord wants us to embrace who we are, to know who he is to us, and then it will create conversation. I remember, I remember as a young kid growing up, I was like the worst kid in my whole family when it came to asking questions. I, asked, I probably asked like a million questions a day, right? So I mean, we'd be sitting in the car. I'd be asking my dad, "Dad, what about this?" And dad, what about... I mean, just asking question after. Anybody have any kids like that? Don't raise your hand. Your kids will. Well, they're not in here, so you can raise your hand if you want to. <laughs> right? I was horrible at it. I would ask my dad everything. I thought, I think, at some points, I was like driving him crazy. But you know something? For me, he was my dad. For me, he was my dad. And I could ask my dad, I could ask my dad and ask my dad and never run out of questions for my dad because our relationship was so great. But you know what else happened? I became a teenager. I know you guys all think I bypassed those teenage years, right? You're wrong. (laughs) I was a rotten teenager, right? Rebellious teenager. Do you know what happened to my relationship with my dad? Strained, wasn't it? Do you know what happened to my questions for my dad? Gone. You see how my relationship with my dad affected how I communicate, how freely I communicated with him. And our relationship with God, our understanding, our walk with God affects how freely we talk to our heavenly father. Well, he's just not concerned about those little things. Okay, you have just misinterpreted who your God is. He is concerned about the little things. They do matter. We, as we grow in knowing who we are in Christ, knowing our relationship with God, we are, are also going to grow confident in how we communicate with him, how we ask him for things, how we tell him about our needs. We come to him without any fear, without any reservation, without any caution, without any structure. We're just coming to talk to our Father who is in heaven. That's what he's talking about here. This is the, those who know who they are in Christ have this amazing freeness as they come and they talk to God. When we present our needs to God, when we present our faults, our sins to God. When we present our desires to God, our wants, our struggles, our worship, our praise, our problems, our failures, our successes, when we present all of these things to God, we're able to present them freely, openly, fearlessly. Can I submit to you that when I, when I sinned as a, as a kid, I didn't quickly go tell my dad that I had sinned, right? You guys don't act all innocent. I know you didn't either. <laughs> I didn't quickly go talk to him because I knew I was going to get a what? I was going to get a spanking, right? My dad believed in that stuff called spankings, and I got spankings, right? So I knew if I went and told my dad I was going to get a spanking, so I didn't go and tell my dad. Can I I suggest something to you? Jesus took your spanking so that you could go to God and not expect one. My kids, one of the things that I've tried to do a little bit differently with them is, is be more on the side of, of grace and, and help and kindness and forgiveness. There was a generation that was, my dad's generation, was, they were far more rigid in the discipline. And, and I've tried to go the other direction because I, I really, honestly, I want my kids to come to me to know that they're going to receive help. They're going to get help. They're not going to get condemnation. They're going to get help. And there are times where there is discipline necessary. It's usually not when they come to you and say, Dad, I, I failed. It's usually when they don't come to you and say, Dad, I did not tell you, right? Right? It's the rebellious part of our kids' lives that we need to be concerned about. Not when they fail like we all do. It's the rebellious side that we need to really be concerned about. So I wouldn't come and tell my dad because I was afraid he was going to Do you know why most of us don't come to God? The only one who can actually help us overcome our sins, one of the main reasons we don't come to him with our sins is because we're afraid. And folks, that fear that we have when we have fallen minimizes the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for those sins. Doesn't it? Have those sins been totally paid for in Christ? Why do we fear when we come to him? He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He says this, so we have this confidence, but notice this as well. He says this is the confidence that we have towards him. There's a, there's a directional piece of this as well, okay? Our confidence that we have to come freely and openly in prayer is directed which way? Is our confidence directed in us? I am confident because I have not done anything wrong. No. The confidence that we have is directed towards the Father. We are confident in Him that we can come and speak to him freely. We're confident in his grace. We're confident in his mercy. We're confident in his forgiveness. We're confident in the sufficiency of his son. We're confident in the imputed righteousness of the Holy Spirit. We're confident in all of these things that are all about him, that we freely come and talk to him. Listen to me. The more free you come and talk to your heavenly father, the more honor it is, not to you, but the more honor it is to him. Do you know what it says about your father when you can go and freely talk to him? It says that you have a good father. Do you know what it says about your father if you cannot go and talk to him freely? It says you have a bad father. We think about what, what is, um, Psalm 23 and verse 4 says. He leads us in the path of righteousness for his name sake you see we as his children are always a reflection of him as a father so are we able this morning are you able Are you confident in who you are in Christ Jesus? Are you confident that you are one of God's children, that you can come to the Father and have a conversation with him that is completely open, fearless, bold, confident, blunt, all those words I just told you a few minutes ago? Are we able to come and have that conversation with our heavenly Father without any fear? The confidence is towards him. Let me read to you Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace I love the word throne because the throne in Scripture always means authority. We can draw near to the authority of grace. Where judgment is going to take place, we are going to experience grace. We draw near to the throne of grace. We draw near to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then we receive mercy and find grace to help in times of Need So we can be confident this morning. If you have come to embrace who you are in Christ, you can be confident, you can be free to speak freely with God. There is no reason not to speak freely with God unless you're afraid that there's not a relationship there. Number two, we are confident because of our walk with God, our relationship with God through Christ, to ask anything. We can ask God for anything. Okay? You can ask God for anything you want. You can ask God for... Listen, for the most part, we spend most of our time trying to decide if our prayer request is actually within God's will. Right? We don't actually ever ask for it because we're trying to figure out if it fits first. No, it's not our job to determine whether or not our prayer request fits into God's will. It's our job to make the request of God and then he will determine whether or not it fits into his will. We can ask anything and everything. That's the type of communication that God wants from us. He says, to pray without ceasing." that means every moment and every step of your life is, is made with God in mind. We can ask God for anything, whatever it might be, whatever you might be desiring, whatever you might want be wanting, you can ask God for it. There are no limits on God's ability, and there are no limits on God's grace. You say, Pastor John, I just don't wanna ask a stupid question. You can only ask a stupid question to somebody who doesn't love you. Right? There is no stupid questions if you have a relationship with God. When my kids come and ask me a question, I don't ever tell them, that's a stupid question. There is no stupid question. There are some people in the world that I tell them that's a stupid question, but there's no relationship there. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Right? When there's a relationship, there is no stupid question with God. We've got to stop trying to figure out what God's will, present what our will is. Jesus prayed in the garden Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. He was the Son of God. And what did he present? He presented his will to God. Right? Paul had the thorn in the flesh. He prayed to God three times. He said, God, please take this away from me. Please take this away from me. Please take this away from me. Okay, God, it's not your will that this be taken away from me, so I'll glory in it. Right? So he, didn't, he wasn't afraid of saying, God, this is my will. This is what I want. This is what I desire. I'm presenting it to you. You're my father. You're capable. There is nothing out, off limits when it, when it comes to our prayer life. We So often we just minimize God's caring for us in some way that we won't even ask him for it. He says, in James, you have not because you, because you what? Because you don't even ask for it. We need to be free to talk to God and to share with him every one of our desires, to share with him every one of our problems, and to know that he is so sovereign and so in control and so caring that everything is going to work out because we're releasing it into his hands. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 to pray without ceasing. He says in Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. He says in John 15 and verse 7, I'm going to turn there. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. We spend, we spend too much time trying to do God's part, folks, we need to let him be God. We need to come to him as children come to their father and say, hey, Dad, I need this. Hey, Dad, can I have the car keys? Hey, Dad, he'll give you what he knows is right for you, but he wants to hear your, he wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear your heart. So when you come to God, lay out all of who you are. You're going through the day, Lord, man, I'd really like to have this this or that, or Lord, I really need this, or man, I'm having trouble with my kids right now. He wants that conversation. He's a person. He's not a force that we use when we want to, and we throw him away when we don't need him. He's a person. He wants a relationship with us to walk into fellowship with him. We can ask anything of God. Again, nothing is off limits for Him. Nothing is off limits for us to ask of Him. We need not figure out if it's within His will before we ask. We need to ask, and I'm going to get to this here in a moment, but we need to ask, and then we'll find out if it's in His will or not. Matter of fact, let me say this. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but let me say it anyway. You will never find out if it's His will if you don't ask. Asking is a part of discovering God's will. The Bible also says this in case you're afraid of asking for the wrong thing or you don't know what to say. He says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray as we ought, right? We don't know what to ask. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. But what what does the Lord do? The Lord, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He searches and knows our heart and he is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you pray, you can ask anything because he's your father. And as you grow confident in that reality, less and less things will become off limits. Less and less will become, as you trust in who Jesus Christ is for you, less and less things will become off limits. Number three, back to our text. Okay, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything, and again, the emphasis is on the fact that you can ask anything, but he doesn't stop there, okay? If, if I could ask anything of my father and he would give it to me, would that be good or bad? If I could ask anything, what about in my selfish moment when I ask God for something? He had something better down the road for me, but he's like, you know what? I'll just give that to you because you asked for it. Is that good or bad? So here's the confidence. The confidence is knowing that you can ask anything of God, but he'll only give you what is right and good. He will only hear the request that you ask that is in accordance with his sovereign will and decree. So that means this, I can lay out my whole life before God. And I know this, that he is only going to give me what I can handle. He's only going to give me what I need. He's only going to give me what is good for me. I can know that confidently. Prayer is about trusting in Jesus's will and character. Asking in Jesus' name is is seen throughout the Bible, which means in accordance with his character and his will. Asking in faith in James 5 means that we trust God to do what is right. The Bible says in James 5 that if you're sick, you come to the elders and they pray over you and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. It does not mean that you're going to necessarily be be healed physically. What it means is is that as you put your faith in the Lord, you say to the Lord, I trust that you will do what is right right in this situation, and you are healed, whether you are healed or not. Does that make sense? The greatest healing that you and I will ever experience is the healing of releasing it into God's hands. That's the greatest healing that we will ever experience. I'll tell you a little story, a little anecdote. We had one of our daughters was, we had a son, we had then two daughters, and our third daughter, we began to pray for a son, Right? So I mean, we started praying before we even got pregnant. We thought, if we pray before we even get pregnant, then God is gonna definitely answer our prayer. No doubt about it, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, my pastor a friend of mine, he told me this once, he said, a guy came to me and he said, you know, my wife's been pregnant for six months and, and we really want a boy, so we're gonna start praying that it be a boy. And my pastor told him and said, hey, whatever it is, it is. <laughs> so there is no changing it. So we thought, hey, we're gonna get that because we're gonna pray six months before we get pregnant. We'll get this right. So we prayed throughout the whole pregnancy. We prayed six months before. We went to the ultrasound. It's like, it's a girl. We're like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm serious. You guys are laughing. This is, it's funny, but it's serious, too. And we were like, no, it's not. It's a girl. No, it's a boy. And I mean, we were like, we we're having this unwavering faith. We know what it is. We thought, if we have unwavering faith, then surely it's going to come out a boy, Has anybody in here met Angela? Okay? She is not a boy, right? And make sure she doesn't watch this video. All right? But here's what the Lord taught us. Faith is not getting what you want. Faith is getting what God wants. I would never give Angela up for a boy. She's a treasure of my heart, just like all of my kids are. But, I, but I could, in that moment, I could not see that. All I could see was what John wanted. And God said, John, you're going to learn faith. And he showed me, faith is about letting God have his way. And it's about trusting God that it's always going to be good. Amen? Amen. That's the faith that we need. Asking in Jesus' name, asking in faith trusting that God knows best. And then James 1 talks about asking without doubting. Remember this, asking with not doubt without doubting does not mean that you ask God for something and you don't doubt that he's going to give it to you. Asking without doubting is when you ask God for something and you trust that he's going to give you what is right. You see the issue is is that you never doubt God. You never doubt God. And then in the end, let me read a couple of verses to you just um, because it's good too. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, therefore I tell you, whoever you, whatever you ask in prayer, believing that you have received it, it will be yours. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, again, with that faith, with that trust that God is going to do what is right. Jesus' prayer was answered perfectly. Because Jesus concluded his prayer with, not my will be done, but but thy will be done. Number four, confident to know God. Here's what our prayer life teaches us. Watch what he says in the text. He says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. Okay, now there's a little bit of a, there's not a flaw here, but we need to go back to understand. He's saying that he hears us in whatever we ask according to his will, right? It's not just whatever we ask, it's whatever we ask according to his will, we know that he hears us, and therefore, the things that we ask according to his will, it's as if they are already ours. He speaks in such a way in the past tense to describe it as being the fact that if you ask something of God that is in accordance with his will and eternal decree, it's as if you already possess it. It's it's in your hands already. Does that make sense? Now, get this, this is so important. As we communicate with God openly and we ask God everything in life, trusting His will over ours, we begin to see what God's will is. We get to see what God wants. You say, How do we get to see what God wants? Well, here it is How does He answer your prayer? He says, if we ask anything that's in accordance with his will and his decree and that it's asked if we already have it. So when we ask God for things and he answers those prayers, it says to me, this is my will. This is my will. This is my will. And what do we do? Listen, we learn to know God's will. We learn to see what God wants, what God desires. We grow in this intimate, deep relationship with the Lord because we've asked him for this and he says no to it. And you know what we often do? We walk away, we're like, ah, if I fix this and I fix this and I walk better here and I'm, I'm a better person over here, then God will give it to me. What about this? It's just not his will. It's not good for you. And maybe it's not good for you now. Maybe it'd be good for you down the road. But the answer is no right now. Or the answer is yes right now. It is everything that we ask God for that is within his will. We already have it. And when we ask God for something that's not within his will, we don't get it. But we embrace the fact that it was not a part of his will. You see, this brings to us to a, a deeper prayer life, a deeper understanding of God's character and God's will. And what is the whole goal of this? That you might know that you have eternal life, right? John 17 and verse 3 says, and this is eternal life that you might know God. So what is eternal life? It's knowing God. It's knowing his will. It's knowing his character. It's knowing his heart. How do we do that? We communicate with him and we ask him everything and we trust him for anything. And then we watch how he supplies and we know what his will is. Jeremiah 32, verse two and three says this. Thus saith the Lord. I I, I love verse two. I grew up learning verse three. And then when I got older in life, I decided to learn verse two because it's so powerful. The Lord says Who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. That builds a pretty good foundation, doesn't it? Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not of. Prayer. God, help us to embrace our relationship with you. Help us to know who we are in Christ. And Lord, help our prayer life to unfold like we are talking to somebody who cares a lot about us. My challenge to you this morning is this. If you don't know Christ in that way, I pray that you will humbly get on your knees before him. You will confess Repent, as 1 John 1, 9 says, confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess who we are. Embrace what Jesus Christ has done for us and be saved. If you are saved this morning, I pray that you will be moving passionately, not towards hoping that you're saved or thinking that you're saved, but that you will come to a place that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%, I am God's friend. I am God's child because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me, in me, and now is accomplishing through me. May we grow to know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for prayer, the privilege to communicate to you our hearts, to talk with you and to fellowship with you and to honor you and praise you, Lord, because you're worthy of it. And I pray that you'd work on each one of us in this way, that we would not be so regimented, but we would talk as if we're communicating to a friend and a father. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with us as we go home today and this week, that we would be mindful of your will, your grace, your mercy, your care, and we would grow in knowing you and leaning on you each day. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen.